coming up on Reframed. Along with this week's special guest, Anya Christofferson. Today we'll be discussing Heartbreak High, which I'm so excited to do. I thought there were things like that that made me uncomfortable. But when I reflected on it, I was like, that's actually really how I feel disability is treated. That you're like gaslighting yourself into believing that you don't need them. It was like, oh, that's not something we've been asking for for like (laughs) years and years. And now all of a sudden it's like possible in the click of a finger. (laughs) So I think there's still a long way to go, but it's important. Welcome back to Reframed, the podcast that reframes how disability is portrayed in film and TV. I'm your host, Jason Climo, and today I have the wonderful observer, Robin Lambert, with me as my co-host, along with this week's special guest, Anya Christofferson. Today we'll be discussing Heartbreak High, which I'm so excited to do. But before we do, let's say hey to Anya and learn a little bit more about them. So welcome to the podcast, Anya. Did you just want to start off by letting us all know a bit about you and what you do? Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really struggle with the question of what I do because I think like you both probably do, I wear a lot of hats. Um, So of course, I'm a disability advocate um, from my own lived experience, but I'm also a social entrepreneur. Um, I run my own business called Champion Health Agency, where I represent people with disability, chronic illness and carers to professionalise their lived experience and create change using it, which is really exciting and cool. Um, and then, of course, on top of that, do my own consultancy. Um, I wrote a book when I was 18 and, yeah, a few other things, but really all just lived experience driven. I love it. <laughs> and you're like, just like a few other things. Did you want to tell just everyone? That. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> all these amazing things. Uh, did you want to tell everyone a little bit about the book that you wrote as well? Yes, so it's called Behind the Smile, and I chose that because my disability is predominantly invisible, and so no one really knew that I had a disability growing up apart from my scars. So I wrote the book at 18, and I don't really um, promote it much because I'm shy that, you know, 18-year-old me wrote this book that they thought was so cool, Um, and now (laughs) I wouldn't have necessarily written the same thing. Um, So it basically told my story from birth and all of these surgeries that I had um, and growing up trying to find my place in the world um, and deciding that that was in modeling because I thought that the fashion industry needed more representation um, and how I navigated that from an industry that wasn't accepting of people that, you know, looked different. And I was someone that looked different to them because I had scars. Um, So basically how I pushed through um, and ended up walking at Sudan Fashion Week at 17. And that was a huge moment for my career. Um, So it was really about that. And it basically stopped. um, The book stopped when I started getting into advocacy. So it doesn't have that component of my story. Cool. Sounds like it might be time for a bit of a sequel. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe one day. Well, you obviously wear a lot of different hats, but it's clear that you're really passionate about representation from all of the different work you do. Um, We like to ask all of our guests why they think genuine representation in things like um, film and television is so important. So would you be able to sort of share your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I think it comes back to that quote, and I can't remember who said it, which is pretty embarrassing, but it's that you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. Um, so if you can't see someone that looks like you or even embodies your story in mainstream media or television, or in my case, as a child in modeling, which is what I was interested in, 
yeah. you don't think you can be it um, or on, you know, a board of directors. So I think it's so important to have that there. But what I realised through my own experiences in fashion and, you know, that's coming into even television and things like that, that if those spaces aren't accessible for people that actually have disabilities to work there, then it, it isn't an inclusive environment after all. Um, in the modelling scene, for example, you'd have to work 12-hour days where you wouldn't get, you know, a bottle of water or a chair to sit down on. Um, and that wasn't sustainable for me anymore. So I realised that even though they were giving me an opportunity to show that I had a disability or I had scars, um, they weren't really giving me an equitable opportunity to be there. And I was having to sacrifice something of myself. Um, so I think there's still a long way to go, but it's important. Absolutely. And I think Robin and I can attest to that. We have both worked in the fashion industry as well. I think it's a really great industry to get into and like really understand what's wrong with the industry for one, but two, to get that kind of um, mainstream, like modern recognition amongst like young adults. I think fashion is like really important for that. Um, You know, it launches careers. We know that. Um, and I think it's a very impressionable industry too. So it's like, I mean, it really, realistically it dictates what is like considered to be cool. So I think fashion still has such a long way to go in terms of actually making it, like you've said, more accessible, equitable, even just feasible for some people with disability to actually work in. Um, and I'm talking like in front of the camera, behind the camera, in production, everywhere, um, but yeah, it is exciting. I think when you see like really great mainstream fashion representation as well, but I totally hear where you're coming from. I guess like one thing I really like to ask of guests as well is, you know, of course it's really important to see people or, or, you know, have that representation on screen for yourself. But do you see or understand if there's like any benefits for like wider society in representing people with disability? I think that there is because I think it's so hard to understand what a life of disability is truly like. Um, There are so many misconceptions and there are so many biases. And I think breaking down those biases um, helps to really demystify disability. And I feel like that's where a lot of the stigma and the discrimination comes in um, due to misunderstanding. And if that misunderstanding can be cleared by people not only being seen but by actually having a voice and being able to tell their stories um, and that's why you know the whole team comes in by having creatives that can write and produce and all of that as well um, I think that's where the power really lies. Did you find as well after you sort of wrote your book and shared your story in obviously a lot of detail did, did your relationships with certain people change and did certain people understand perhaps your experience more and and why you know the way you see the world is the way you see the world? Absolutely. I had people in my family that had obviously known me since I was born um, look at me in a completely different way and friends that I'd gone through high school with see me in a completely different way and understand me um, differently as well because there's one thing being around someone that has a disability and that's a whole other thing being able to try and see the world through their eyes and from their perspective. Um, And I think that's what my book enabled them to see and understand. Um, So I think it's so easy, at least for me, to try and pretend that things are okay um, when they're not um, or say that, you know, I don't necessarily have access needs or things like that. Um, But also it gives you a different perspective on life. Um, And that perspective is really valuable to share because everyone can learn from it. 
Yeah. And I feel like I was talking about this with one of our previous guests as well about how like people with disability are like, um, like masters at adjusting to our surroundings. And also then we took this whole conversation and went on a bit of a tangent. It was like almost like uh, self therapy, but, uh, we went on this kind of like tangent about like how that is just in so much conflict, like, like all those like adjustments that we make in order to like, fit in as much as possible with society is literally directly at odds with our own like self-care all of the time to the point where I was saying that I'm building a house right now. And I was like, do I really need these modifications? Like nobody else is going to want them. It's going to be really bad for resale. And then I just had to have this moment of realization where I was just like, yes, you need them. Like you have just been like struggling through all of these things for so long in like inaccessible environments that you're like gaslighting yourself into believing that you don't need them. <laughs> I found it really interesting during the pandemic where all of these like adaptations were made to deal with that with like telehealth and all of these other things. And it was like, Oh, that's not something we've been asking for for like <laughs> years and years. And now all of a sudden it's like possible in a click of a finger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like all of these things actually are possible. And in some like many, many ways, like, for example, like one really simple solution that I think everybody would agree to is like, you know, for example, like office workers not forcing staff to come into offices. Like they found that people were like a lot more effective, efficient, like were achieving better results. Yeah. Productive and also saves cost. So it's like a lot of this actually makes a lot of sense across the board. It's not just a specific solution for a specific group of people. Um, and I mean, on that too, like, we're roughly 20% of the population. So it's like, I think we're a big enough fucking group of people to like make specific adjustments for too, by the way. You would hope so. And I think it's ultimately when it becomes appealing for the majority, suddenly it's adopted. And I was at the National Disability Strategy Forum recently and someone raised a really good point around, you know, universal design Mm. and how way back when they used to have showers that were step-down showers. And that was just the trend. It was every shower was a step-down shower. And then suddenly someone decided that they were ugly and they just made all of them, you know, you just go straight into the shower. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was universal design. But the change was because people thought it was ugly. Yeah. Um, So basically we just need to like manipulate society into believing that all these like universal (laughs) design features are actually really trendy. Trendy. (laughs) I was literally... I was like literally having the same conversation with my friend the other day. I was like, man, a dream accessible shower is just like a rich person's shower where it's yeah. like flat. There's a bench in there so they can like steam. Like, yeah. Like that. It's, it's just like rich people stuff. And like the one screen. So there's like not actually like two screens or like no screens. Yeah. It's just like a slight, slightly inclined um, or declined. Sorry, so the water <laughs> drains like nicely. Oh my God. I love it. Uh, well, I've loved learning a bit more about you and your experiences, Anya, but uh, I think it's now time for us to start chatting about our show for today, which is Heartbreak High. Very excited to chat about this one. Robin, did you want to kick us off with a bit of a synopsis? So, so excited to talk about this one. Um, Heartbreak High, it's a reboot of a 90s show, actually, an Australian 90s show, and it is a high school comedy drama, um, follows the drama and the 
sexploits and all of the typical things that <laughs> happen in a high school drama, I guess, of particular um, interest to us. There is an autistic character called Quinny, played by um, Chloe Hayden, who is also an autistic actor. Um, and yeah, let's get into that and how that is portrayed. Love it. Anya, did you want to uh, kick us off with some of your thoughts about Heartbreak High? I really, really enjoyed this. So I watched it in full um, and then I half rewatched it as well to try and get some more insight, <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure I didn't miss anything. But I thought that it was beautifully played by Chloe. Um, and my understanding is that Chloe actually was able to write it as well. Um, I found at the beginning it to be a little bit jarring that or how, you know, Quinny was treated by people around yeah. her at times, um, a little bit dismissed. And, you know, in particular, there was that one scene where, you know, there were pre-drinks before um, Mardi Gras, was it? Sasha didn't come to the pre-drink. She went to a different yeah. pre-drink. Um, Quinny got upset. She was waiting in line. And then Sasha came and was like, oh, are you just dimming? And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's so dismissive because anyone, I think, would be pissed off if their partner just ditched them. That has nothing to do with disability, and it was pinned on disability. So I thought there were things like that that made me uncomfortable. But when I reflected on it, I was like, that's actually really how I feel disability is treated. Yeah. Um, And so it's a really accurate representation. Um, So I thought that it was played really well. And written really well. Yeah. I've got to fully agree with you. And I've probably got to put my hand up and say, I could be a bit biased. I'm uh, good friends with Chloe. So <laughs> I do know a little bit as well about like, yeah, I, you know, I guess all actors do have control in like creating and crafting their character. Um, but they just got it so right. And Chloe was very much involved in that process to make it so right. Um, I think you're on the money as well. Like some parts I was like, holy shit, that's like a, you know, I don't think it was like really aggressive forms of ableism, right? Like super blatant, like, like not that I remember from watching it. Um, but it was that really kind of like nuanced stuff where it's like, yeah, this person is treating you not even differently, but like, I guess treating you as like this person who has disability, who, everything that must be going on in your life must be related to disability. And I think it's this like inadvertent form of ableism that lots of non-disabled people and other disabled people too, by the way, like project on other disabled people without realizing they're doing it sometimes. And I think that's some of the most harmful stuff. Like for me, all of the time, I just get people that are just like, oh, it's so great to see you at this party or something, like... And then, obviously, I get all of the fucking follow-up questions, like, what happened, blah, 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 and I'm like, oh, my God. So, it's like, it's one of those clear moments where you're like, okay, I just clearly can't exist in this space in the way that I just, like, wanted to fucking go to this party and just be me without... Like, I I don't believe in the whole, like don't see the disability sort of thing. Like I'm like, see the person and the disability, but also just like see the person as disability all entwined. And you don't need to constantly just always ask about disability or assume that everything that's going on in their life revolves around their disability. Um, 
And I think they encompassed that really well in Heartbreak High, in that relationship with Sasha. Um, and I think Quinny, like, found her voice really well too. But anyway, this is not my TED Talk. Robin, what were your thoughts? <laughs> no, no, keep going. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, i got to agree. I thought it was, it was very well done. And I, I really liked that they didn't lean into those stereotypes that they tend to when – portraying yeah. um autistic characters like she wasn't a savant or this like character uh, represented as being very childlike um yeah. you know and it wasn't like this over-the-top thing that we've like seen in some other shows maybe like the good doctor and, and things like that yeah it, she was she, with and without the autism i thought like she was a pretty relatable character yes. um which which was awesome and i also liked how they didn't skim over like showing things like how she had to mask when she went to parties and yep. how, you know, she might experience sensory overload or there might be like sensory differences between her and a partner that might cause like issues in relationships, yep. but it's something you can work through. Um, yeah. So I just thought she was like really probably one of the most well-rounded autistic characters that I've seen portrayed so far. A hundred percent agree. And it comes down to the fact that, like clearly we know that behind the scenes Chloe had control over lived like, experience. Lived experience and that lived experience because Chloe had agency in actually, you know, forming this character really well. Actually portrayed on screen in this super genuine way. Whereas, you know, when non disabled people are just like fully in control of creating these disabled characters, it's like Oh my God, you're only scratching the surface here. And, you yeah, know, like the thing, like kind of what you were saying, Robin, that, you know, with or without autism, the character was, you know, this really interesting character that people could relate to was because they did the work to make the character multidimensional. Like it wasn't just like, this is Quinny and she has autism and like, that's it. And everything that happens in, in Quinny's whole character arc is just related to their experiences of disability. No, in fact, it was like pretty much the opposite. And then their experiences of disability were just kind of like slotted in, which is yeah, life. Every per- like that's my every life. Person is, every person is multifaceted, right? Like yeah. different identities that are entwined and inform who they are as a person and their, their experiences and how they go about things. You know, you might be yep. a woman, you might be queer, you might be disabled. Like, you know, there's, there's so many things that make up a person. And I yeah. think that was, yeah, that was one of the things that I appreciated the most. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I like that it wasn't, you know, announced that this is our character with a disability, you know? <laughs> like, we're so proud that we've got a character with a disability and this is the one. Yeah. You know? So I feel like exactly as you were saying, Robin, they were a relatable character regardless of that they were the person with a disability or not. Mm. I feel like anyone could relate to Quinny. Um, mm. And I think that was what was so beautiful about it and just the nuance of being able to integrate, you know, those moments of sensory overwhelm with the moments of, you know, pure joy and excitement yeah. and friendship and going to these parties. And I just loved that there were those yeah, moments of great friendship and that Quinny called out ableism as well. Like I've never yes. heard that happen <laughs> in a TV show before, like ever. So good. I think as well, like what you've touched on there, Anya, as well with like the friendships, like one thing I thought was like really good was kind of how they showcased non, like, you know, a non-disabled friend, like supporting a disabled friend in a certain way. 
Um, but also the relationship dynamic, because it's not just like, you know, for the non-disabled people out there that might not have disabled friends, it's not that you're just constantly going to be supporting them. It's a fucking relationship. Like you support each other back. Um, so I thought that was like really well done as well. Um, oh, I've forgotten their name. Quinny's like best friend, but like some of the ways like they supported Quinny really well, like just at like parties and things, like taking to a quiet place, like getting in the bath. I thought that was hilarious. Um, all of that kind of stuff I just thought was like brilliantly done. Um, and it wasn't. And just totally not making a big deal about it. Yeah, you know? like, yeah, as a, exactly. As a best friend would just know those things. Like, and, and that's the difference between yeah. this representation versus like the good doctor, because like the good doctor, it's like when these things happen, of course, it's got to be right in the middle of like a surgery and everyone's like, what do we do? And it's like, really? Like, is that really what would happen in the real world? Everyone would just freak out and run around not knowing what to do. Like, I think somewhere in that organization, they'd probably have like a support network set up for this autistic person to actually do their job really, really well. Like that would be the realistic approach to this whole scenario. But obviously that doesn't work for the good doctor's entertainment value. But uh I thought, yeah, executed really well in Heartbreak High, to be perfectly honest. Um, did we think, were there any moments where you were kind of like, wish that didn't happen or or anything that you think they could like improve on possibly for like future seasons? I think that's so hard because they did it so well. <laughs> yeah. Like they really yeah. did it so well. But something that is a bit away from Quinny that I found to be interesting because I have complex trauma. I found it really interesting caches. Um, yeah. you know, relationship with trauma and like mm. that sexual trauma and not wanting to be intimate. And I thought that that integration into Heartbreak High was interesting because I hadn't seen that represented in yeah. TV before in such a way. Yep. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that's explored further. And I'm not sure if they used like the term asexual at all, but I think like they they obviously like play into this realm of like asexuality as well that is just never explored. Like I think I've seen it in like two shows ever in my whole entire life of like watching a shit ton of TV and film. So I'm like, I think that's really important for a whole group of people to see this represented. represented. I thought for a TV show that's obviously aimed at younger people, it tackled some really complex issues quite well. Oh, God, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gave them a lot to think about and, to, yeah, to explore in further seasons too. Yeah, I'm like, when I'm 27 and I was like, holy fuck, this is hectic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like super entertaining at the same time. <laughs> yeah, hectic in a good way. <laughs> they definitely did like the whole like Australian euphoria without like all the glitter uh, <laughs> really well, I think. Definitely. It made me feel really old and like I missed out on a whole high school experience, I think. <laughs> But at the same time, I was like, made me feel nostalgic of the days where you made fucking like those maps where you're like, oh, this person kissed this person. And I'm like, do they still do that? Surely they don't still do that at school now. Like they'd have like a more complicated <laughs> way where there's like a website, like some code. It's on the it. iPad and it yeah. <laughs> gets sent into the cloud. <laughs> it's just a massive group chat on Messenger. <laughs> well, they learn coding in school these days. Someone's what probably I mean? developed an app. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be an app, 100%. Yeah, someone would have set up an app. That's so funny. Cool. Well, I think it's time for us to give our scores for Heartbreak High on our inclusive disability representation scale. 
For those who are just joining us for the first time this episode, this is a completely made-up scale. It doesn't actually mean anything in the real world other than reflecting and embodying our thoughts on Heartbreak High. Five out of five is like the best disability representation we've seen in our lives. Uh, and zero or negative numbers, if you feel that way inclined, is uh, really, really bad. So why don't we kick off with you, Robin? What did you give Heartbreak High out of five on our IDR scale? Um, I gave it a four and a half because I really struggled to find, you know, things that were wrong with it. And obviously, yeah, I'm looking forward to the second season to see how things develop even more. And I just didn't want to give it a five because, you know, I'm hoping things get even better. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't give five. Five is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> five is, you can't get perfect. <laughs> Anya? Unfortunately, stole my justification in my score but (laughs) it is 4.5 as well um it's basically as close to perfect as I can imagine but I'm looking forward to seeing what more um can happen for Quinny and with Chloe's you know creative career um as Quinny so she's just skyrocketing it's crazy yeah incredible yeah uh well I gave it a four and a half as well but for slightly different reasons because I mean it's Epic representation. Um, probably my main thing was that I'd love to see like a bit more representation and like a variety of disability rep. I kind of thought surely there's not just like one disabled person at the school, um, you know, or in that kind of large friendship group when we are talking like 20% of the population. Um, and I know reflecting on the industry where it's at right now, it's like this is like fucking gold standard. But I'm like, let's push it further. I'm like, that's why I'm not giving it a five because I'm like, Five is like, yeah, you've done everything you can do. Um, whereas I'm like, four and a half, like, we're celebrating that you've done a really friggin' good job. But that point five is let's get more disability rep out there. So, um, they're my thoughts. Love your work. Uh, I just want to say really quick thank you to the both of you for joining us for this week's episode. We've absolutely loved having you, Anya. Uh, loved getting you back as well, Robin. It's exciting. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. And thank you, everyone, as well, who followed along from home with this episode. Um, just want to let you know that you can let us know your thoughts on social media if you search us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, if you search Reframe Podcast or Podcast Reframed. can't remember which way it is on which platforms, so just give it a crack and I'm sure you'll find us. Um, or if email is better for you or if you've written like a thesis on all of the reasons why we're right or wrong about Heartbreak High, you can email us at hello at reframepodcast.com. Um, we really do want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your IDR scores. We obviously want you all to go watch Heartbreak High, support Chloe's career. Um, so, so exciting to see uh, a young Aussie actress with disability just skyrocketing. Um, and yeah, can't wait to hear what you all think. And lastly, before we sign off, I just want to say a huge thank you to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for helping to fund this series. Thank you so much again, Anya, for joining us. Thank you, Robin. Bye. This has been a production of Attitude Foundation.